0: So, moving on, on our Whistle Stop Tour, up next is our good friend, Jimmy Cook, who's going to come and talk to us about songwriting. Come on, Jimmy. You guys are in for a treat. Now, um, Jimmy has so much to offer, and if you hear him say, I'm a drummer, you've worked with so many bands, you've been a part of co-writing so many songs, and we're really excited to hear and learn from you, Jimmy. So...
1: You know, be nice to us, but also give us give us all you got. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Harvey. All right. Um, so, just I I packed fair amount in today, guys. So we're gonna there's gonna be a little bit of a barrage. So just um, just prepping you for that. Uh, we don't have a load of time, but um, just before we get into it, um, uh, I just wanted to ask a couple more questions for you guys. Um, Number one, what are you listening to at the moment? And you might want to also write this down um, if you're journal people, note taking people. What are you listening to? And number two, I've I've got a clicker here. I've never had a clicker. This is amazing. What are you reading? And I'm just going to leave these two questions hanging in mid-air for... 24 hours, maybe. Um, And I think, obviously, these things will change probably weekly, monthly, for some of you, daily even. Um, But my observation over... uh, Very quickly, I started playing drums when I was 12, and if you're a musician, for any length of time, you bump into songs, right? And then you meet songwriters soon after that. Um, And so I suppose my observation... I've just hit 40... um, of 28 years of being around songwriters and musicians, is that these two things are directly, um, are directly inform your creative output as, as songwriters. And I, I just believe, um, I just, I've just seen that to be true. Uh, there's, there's not a right or wrong answer. I, I'm not looking for you to say that I listen to Finney Worship, okay? Or, you know, I've just read a Christian book. Um, I'd actually love to hear a real broad range of things, and I might ask some of you over the weekend what you listen to, what you read. So um, Harmony asked me to put together uh, top ten. I don't know what that means really, it's ideas, it's just some things that I've run into over the years that I want to, to share with you guys. Um, and um, this is a super hard group to pitch to, because some of you I'm looking around and you've been writing songs for a very long time, and some of this will be 101 material, okay? So if, if, for those of you that are in that spot, you can just check out for some of this and finish <laughs> lyrics or whatever it is you need to do, okay? Um, so just bear with me if you feel like it's a little entry level. Uh, I also want to do some listening to a couple of things and um, watch a little clip as well at some point. So... Um, so that would be some wake-up moments hopefully okay so number one um and these don't come in a particular order but um hopefully this is good news for some of you um we don't have to create alone maybe that is actually also a little bit scary for some of you uh who really are only comfortable writing and creating alone but um I just, I just bump into this a lot. My background is playing in, in, a, in bands. and um, When you're in a rehearsal room or a, or a studio or on stage with other people, um, you have to collaborate. You have to... The creative decisions and things are forged through relationship. Um, and I, I really see that as a huge advantage for us in the vineyard. I think we're very relational in the vineyard. Um, and... Uh, I think this is good news for lots of people. For, for many of you, um, you're used to writing uh, maybe and you've got a, a laptop full of ideas, a phone full of ideas, um, but you will know from experience that at some point those ideas have to leave your, your studio or your head and you have to let them loose in the world. And as soon as you do that, they're going to... Evoke some kind of reaction. People will make judgments whether or not those people know anything about songwriting or painting or poetry or whatever it is. Um, so, creative people, that is just, uh, I would just encourage you guys to, to lean on each other and reach out uh, and try and work together, try and bring people in to your creative process. Um, okay, number two. Uh, Songs are to be drafted and crafted. Um, so very quickly, let's, let's just try and define what a draft is. And, um, and I think Harmony and Trey are going to speak into this as well. But I'm, I feel that all of you here, 40 or so, have brought with you, hopefully, a draft of some sort with you to this event. Um, meaning that it, it may be draft one, it may be draft Twelve, um, but hopefully there is an openness. This is what we'd love to foster—a culture of um, just an openness to, you know, accepting constructive critique um, and and maybe um, dispelling this one. So my song came to me in a holy moment, um, straight from the Lord, and, and it's my duty to. Uh, take it straight to the church and bless the nations. And I don't want to know what you think about it because it's finished and it's really anointed. And, um, if, if, if you feel that pressure, though, seriously, that songs have to be beamed into your heart from, from God um, and arrive fully formed, I would just say take that pressure off right now. Um, I don't think it's healthy. The people that I know... Um, who I've met in my, uh, in my time, who, who do have the occasional song. I think maybe this does happen once in the blue moon. I'm not saying it's never. That's well, why I said rarely. Um, but the, the people that do kind of write those type of songs, where they, they land fully formed, are also people that are very prolific writers. Um, and they have filing cabinets full of... Hundreds of songs, I think, that will never see the light of day. And once in a blue moon, this happens. But I I really want you guys to try and take that pressure off if you're feeling like that's the way that worship songs are written. Um, Multiple drafts of a song is normal and healthy. And again, I would say um, we don't have to struggle alone. I'm a great believer in collaboration, co-writing, Iron sharpening iron. Just that phrase, iron sharpening iron, as well. Um, just the, the imagery of that is is two hard, solid materials hitting each other and sharpening each other. Sometimes um, sometimes, creative, great creative things can happen in conflict as well and in, in tension. Um, hopefully we won't run into too much of that in the next 24 hours. But I, I would... Um, Maybe in our context, that looks like accepting something that we don't necessarily um, have to implement into our song, and yet trying to see another perspective, you know, and thinking, I need to listen to what this person is saying. Okay, number three, have one clear song vision. Um, This is just something that I've I've run into a ton. Is um, Sometimes, uh, I guess in, in our video worship world, Songs come come in, come towards us. Um, And I I guess over the years I've developed a bit of a grid for trying to (coughs) be constructive and give some sort of positive feedback to someone. Positive in the sense of like, it may not be finished, but hey, here's a few things. And this is is one that I seem to run into a lot. And it feels sometimes like um, you walk into someone's bedroom and there's clothes all over the floor. Uh, and they're trying to get ready to go out, and they just can't decide what they're, they're going to wear. And it's just chaos, you know. Um, and so I would just e- encourage you guys as writers, um, you need to try and figure out... And some of you, I know, are good at this, and, I, and are kind of hard on yourselves to do this already. Um, but if you, if you struggle with trying to find what to say, um, again, I would ask for help from other people. Um, Aim for one message, aim for one central song, vision, or, or theme, whatever you want to call that, but um, songs that are running off in loads of different directions and saying just too many things, it's just, um, you know, especially nowadays, people have such short attention spans, and we, we just check out, the listener just begins to check out, because it's confusing, you know, I don't really know what this is about. Um, so I'm, a, I'm a, a Chris Martin fan. Um, I love the way that this guy writes songs. And um, I watched an interview recently where uh, someone was asking him, a journalist was asking him, where do your songs come from? Where do you begin? Um, and this was really interesting to me, that he, he showed them his phone. And you know those note-taking apps that you get on your phone? He literally had maybe 600... Uh, song titles written into his phone. And he he scrolled up and down, showing this journalist. And, um, and they're all one-liners. So they're not lyrics. They're not verses or... It's just a, a line. And then, a, and then the next idea, the next idea. And he pointed to one of them, I think... I might be muddling my interviews <laughs> here, but I think he said, here, here you go, here's a head full of dreams. Um, I wrote that a couple of years ago. I'm into my phone. Um, which became... The last Coldplay record, the, one of the lead songs, it became kind of a theme for the album and a world tour, and a film, and it all started life, in his phone, as a, as a one-line thing. And I, I found that fascinating, and I thought, that's not gonna work for everyone, but it, it really ties in with this song vision thing. Of, for him, he would start with a title, and then write around one theme. Um, so, for you guys, I just encourage you to try and find what is that starting point? Where do you because it might it might be something completely different? I asked um, someone about that the other day, and they say I start from a completely different point, but that's that's interesting, that's helpful. Um, sometimes on this, on this point, uh, you may need to, if if your song vision is a little muddled, you may need to try and return to that original. Seed or emotion that the song was written out of to try and um, g- just refind find that your the genesis the conception moment of the song and then go back and and replow that that furrow if that makes sense. Um, one more thing on this. So uh, the mighty Dirksen talks about the gap. Um, And he talked about, so some of you guys who lead worship will maybe relate to this. Um, Even in this time of such a saturation of worship songs, right? There's so many songs coming at us constantly. Um, He talked about in the early days of leading worship, you know, literally it felt like there were holes in my songbook. You know, I'd be prepping a worship set. There's something that I wanted to say to the Lord, or our community wanted to sing to the Lord, and we just didn't have that kind of song. And so, um, I would just try and write something, and then it was almost like, right, now i filled the gap in my songbook, you know, um, and again, I think that relates to this song vision thing, it's like, we really need a song about the Father Heart of God, or, um, the cross, or whatever it is, you know, and you have a clear need, and then you write around the need. And again, I found, I found that really helpful when he, he talked about that last year, um, Okay, so uh, melody is like, I, I really have wrestled with should I go here or not because um, I, I can't teach melody, it's a nightmare um, <laughs> and it almost made me feel like to stay well away from this but actually I think what we can do is we can study great melody writers and see some of the techniques that they're using and maybe try and apply them and learn from them. Um, My friend Adam said this a great melody is like a hypodermic to the heart and um, I love that little phrase of his and I think he's right once you sing a a really compelling melody over someone you have their attention and um, I often think of melodies as like little highways that are carrying lyrics if that makes sense Um, because I think once you've got someone's You grab their heart with a melody. You can kind of sing whatever you want. Do do you know what I mean? It's so you're you're so um, engaged at that point. Um, That was a rabbit trail that I'm going to avoid. But um, okay, there's also just to touch on. In our world, for the most part, melody is coming from the vocal um, in songwriting, right? But um, I just wanted to raise this as, as we move forward as a movement and the kind of songs that we may be writing in the future, or some of you are already writing, the melody, actually the source of the melody isn't the vocal. It might be... If you look at the whole hip-hop genre, for example, um, it, where, the, where the vocal is monotonal and rhythmic, um, the, the melody's coming from another source. So I just wanted to... Drop that in there. If there are people here that write those kind of songs where you're coming more maybe from a production standpoint, like a bass line or a, a, a guitar hook or something. Um, have we got any people that rap in here? Does anyone do that? Dave raps. We know about Dave's raps. And Trey. Okay. Um, Okay, so uh, the other night I was at home and I found this amazing. I'm a bit of a nerd, so I got so really interested in uh, this kind of thing. I just want to play you a little clip, um, if I can do this. So um, what I want to do here is let me just back up really quick. So um, what to the yeah? What do the so the, there's people out there in the world who are writing these incredible pop global hits. And um, how do they do that? Does it just come in this mysterious way, and they're just amazing? Or is there something more going on? Um, and some of you might have heard about the Swedish pop factory writers. And Anyway, this, this whole thing I found on the TV was all about these guys. And I'd love you to watch it if you, if you have a spare hour. Um, but I just wanted to hone in on this little clip. And I'll just, just explain. So, Basically, there's this guy called Dennis Pop. He renames himself Dennis Pop in Sweden. Um, He he discovered Ace of Base. Uh, He set up a label and a uh, a studio, and he he basically hired hired a team of writers. And he found a guy called Thor, blah, 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 some crazy Swedish name I couldn't understand. And he renamed him as... um, Sorry, it's Katrina here. (laughs) I'm really sorry. It's just like, to me it sounded crazy. Um, I'll buy you a drink later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, he renamed this guy Max Martin. And uh, he said, you're not this guy anymore. You're now Max Martin. And those guys went on to write some of the biggest pop hits of all time. Um, And so anyway, enough said. Let's just watch the clip quickly. And... um, See what you guys think of this. Like, Crazy, you yeah. He didn't respond? <laughs> respond. He just said, uh, I want the songs to be the, the focus. Pretty cool. So he's, a, he's pretty much a recluse. Um, anyway, yeah, I I found that really interesting, man. Um, Jimmy, can we get him next year? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, what do the pop hit writers have to say about this? I'm not saying that we need to uh, write those kind of songs in in our context, but we should certainly study what they do, right? Um, And try and learn from them, because what they do is incredible. Uh, This melodic math, just very quickly, I just pulled these two things out. This seems really obvious, doesn't it? But how often do we actually apply that? Um, Max Martin's songs, he, I mean, were—I think they said in the, the beginning of the clip, maybe the most celebrated songwriter of his generation. Or um, His songs are like laden with melodic hooks. Not just one chorus that's great. It's like every section is, is an earworm melody that, that is just um, pulling you in, constantly pulling you in. Um, and then this, this generally not revealing the chorus notes and phrasing in the verse of the pre-chorus, that you're arriving at a very different section. And also the, the delivery of the vocal being such a key signature thing for him. I just found that really fascinating. Um, so also they talked about some um, simple melodies, right? So I just wanted to, uh, again, play you a couple of things here. Um, I love music, and this is all over the place in terms of uh, genres, but Susan Wenger, I mean, gosh, what an incredible writer, artist she is, but, um, isn't that brave to release a song that is, that is just a vocal, a bit of reverb. there's (coughs) nothing else, and it's so, um, it's so melodically and lyrically engaging, it doesn't need anything else, um, just a couple of notes here that I, I mean there's a ton of things you could say about her um, her song and her writing, but um, here are just a few things that I pulled out. So, it's a triple A song form. we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there's this sense of uh, melodic symmetry happening there. Um, no instrumentation, we've talked about that. She's telling us a story, um, and it's evoking a mood. It's, it feels, when I listen to that song, it feels like she instantly pulls me in and I'm walking around inside her head or something. And it's slightly haunting. Um, it's just incredibly powerful and compelling. And then, there, there is... To, to my ears, quickly, there, isn't, um, there might be something deeper going on, but there isn't a clear, obvious rhyme scheme. She's, she's breaking rules, but... Um, but she does it beautifully, and the syllable counts, so consistent, and the phrasing is working. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to play that to you as a, you know, we're talking about simple, engaging melodies. Um, let me just play, you might this already. A um, little bit of uh, Bieber and Sheeran here. Yeah, again. Um, so, here's just a few things that, that I pulled out on that. Very very simple. <coughs> um, I need a, I need a tech person here. <laughs> Come back, counterpoint. <crown> <laughs> Anyone good with uh... Ah? Here we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So first chorus, first some form uh, different. You know than what we just heard with Tom's diner. Um, hardly any instrumentation. There's a little trumpet section in the in the. It's not really a bridge. It's kind of a little instrumental bit uh, after that. But um, when I listen to that verse, I feel like it comes in two halves. So um, the what's interesting is that the the vocal melody shifts up halfway through, but the chords stay the same. So it makes me feel like I'm still in the verse, but it's there's a change. And melodically, th- that song feels like... Now, I, could, I would call the Mama Don't Like You bit the pre-chorus uh, and the, if you like the way you at the chorus. Kate disagreed with me and said it was chorus and tag, which it, it could be. Um, but the, I guess the point is that um, it feels like in that song, it's really clear that you're moving between sections. Melodically, it's very distinct, isn't it? Uh, and again, there's not much happening production-wise to... Some songs you feel like there's so, there's so much production around the song, there's, but actually the song feels a little thin underneath. I, I, I didn't feel... The first time I heard this in the car on the radio, I remember stopping the car and waiting for it to finish, because I was, like, gripped, you know. What, what is this thing? Who is this guy, Bieber? <laughs> 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 um, One more for you. I'll just play a little glass of this. Mm. So we all know that, right? Um, Okay, so maybe that song was big, like 12, 10 years ago, something like that. And there was maybe the Euros in Ukraine. I want to say, like, every time a goal was scored, a whole football stadium was singing that. Do you guys remember that? (laughs) Seeing that on TV? Um, Man, that's good melody writing, right? Um, If if you write something that compelling... um, that a whole stadium is going to chant, and there's no words to it. I think you've done pretty well. Um, what's interesting is, and I think I'm right in saying this, I probably should have checked this out properly, but the repeat of the melody is actually just shifting the whole thing down so it's like the low harmony. Is that right, Kate? Did I get that right? It feels like that's what I'm hearing. So, um, that's, that's a little trick there, isn't it? That's that's interesting that I just wanted to pull out on that song. Um, (coughs) Right. Let's move on. Let's talk about um, lyrics quickly. Um, Here we go. Developing a deep lyrical toolbox. (coughs) What does that mean? Well, I guess there's just so many um, little techniques that that great writers use. And there's um, probably a whole ton that I've missed here. But just very quickly, uh, last year, um, I, if you've seen the, the movie Darkest Hour, I had a weird triangulation moment where I, was, I watched the movie and then someone had bought me the book about the movie. And uh, at the same time, I was reading some historical novels about Cicero, um, who's the famous orator of the Roman Forum. Uh, one of the great speechwriters of all time. And what became apparent about Winston Churchill, as I was reading the Darkest Hour book, was that he was a, a deep student of Cicero, um, studied his uh, oratory, or his speech writing basically, uh, to the point where, you know, there were, there's graphs about how Cicero would begin uh, and end a speech, an argument, in, in the forum. And, and Churchill... Um, used exactly the same techniques. You know, he's probably most famous for making speeches, right? And you guys, there's a bunch of people that like words and wordsmiths, would appreciate that, just the power of Churchill's words. That, that's kind of what we remember that guy for. Um, and actually, when he came into power, that the, the film focuses on a really short period of time in the war, um, but at the time, the deck was completely stacked against him. He didn't really, It was all sort of invasions, imminent, pull back, pull back. Um, and he literally went to war with words. That's what, it, that's what they said in this book. And he managed to kind of rouse an army out, a civilian army, who believed that we weren't going to settle for... It was incredible, incredible, powerful movie about words, really. Kind of like the King's Speech, if you've seen that. Um, So a couple of just things, just to throw out here. Um, Often, not always, but often great songs have a strong opening line. Um, Just think about trying to, you know, that attention span thing I was was talking about earlier. Um, This probably could be its own section, but um, just see a lot of confusion sometimes in songs about, you know, the person is changing. Sometimes even in the same chorus, it's suddenly we, or back to I. Just really try and figure that out. I I don't think it has to be I all the way through. Um, I think there are songs, examples that work, where it it broadens from I to we. But it just needs to flow and make sense. I I feel like I see that an awful lot. Um, Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how to do this, but um, worship songs shouldn't just be... Functional, you know, like utensils in the kitchen. They, they need to, they need to, they need to be beautiful. They need to move us. We're emotional creatures, and um, God made us that way. And that's that's what I think He wants to draw from is its is beauty from you guys, and it's it's there. Uh, use of imagery and metaphors and similes to, to develop that imagery. Um, some of you guys I know are great storytellers in your writing um, and we need more I believe we need more of that um, in our worship canon progression um, I guess a good example of that would be currently what a beautiful name you know how the, the chorus lyric goes from beautiful to powerful to wonderful there's just a, a development of the idea but it's a still it's about the name that's the central song vision um, I'm rattling through these, I'm so sorry guys Rhythm, Phrasing, Flow um, Yeah, okay, so this is, this is to do with this as well um, I remember seeing um, uh, a, a journalist talking about Nirvana and that album Nevermind which is, is a big sort of shaping record for me as a young kid and he said, um, I can't really understand what this guy's singing about but he puts words together that they sound great and it paints pictures and I, I, I kind of feel like I know what he's talking about even though I can't really make out the words. Um, I think the sound of words is important. To, and this is also to do with, uh, with flow. Do things sing well? Can you get your lips and teeth and tongue around it? Or are you, are you, is it just tricky? You know, Is it a bit of a mouthful? Um, rhyme schemes are, are massive, aren't they? I mean, you can go so deep on this. I started googling rhyme schemes, and I was like, "Well, shut the lid, man!" Like, <laughs> but I'll, I just say um, buy a rhyming dictionary um, and uh, study the greats. Yeah, and in, in our world, probably we most commonly come up against imperfect and perfect rhyme, but there are so many more rhyme techniques that could really help us. So, yeah. syllable Counts is... <laughs> I'm, I'm hot on this one, man, because it just, again, I feel like we run into this a whole lot where um, it's just really inconsistent. And I notice in great, well-crafted songs that it's consistent. And it's, it's kind of an obvious one. Adam talked about it in that video. Repetition. Um, yeah, very, very powerful lyrical tool, in, in used in the right way. Assonance is, you know, one of the, should be up the list probably. So, um, you could probably do workshops on all of those things, and I'm not going to do that. Let's talk about this really quickly. Um, so, song form. Is everyone alright? Are you hanging with, with me? Cool. Uh, we're, we're coming in to land. Let me just play um, an example. So we've Next, okay, song form. So uh, often in our worship world, we we camp out most of the time in verse-chorus songs, and you know with a bridge and whatever. But for the most part, those are the kind of songs that we're leading and playing and writing, right? Um, but then you look at the AAA, and some of our greatest hymns are AAA songs, where you have one. Killer section um, that is melodically and lyrically so strong that it doesn't need to move into another section. It just you go back to the A every time, um, like when I survey would be an obvious, an obvious example. But there's tons of hymns and um, and that's why Tom's Diamonds is really interesting because there's not that many modern pop songs that are AAA. Um, I kind of feel like there's a bit of a gap there actually. So um, there you go Trey, it's my tip for 2019, baby. A.A.B.A, so uh, let me just play really quickly because it's like one minute long. Um, obviously the, probably the most famous A.A.B.A is, is Yesterday by The Beatles. I mean what an incredible song and you, some of you know the story about that, how one can't dream, dreamt that song. And um, Yeah, so very quickly looking at that. Um, the, the A, and I'm sorry if you guys are really familiar with this technique, but I feel like there may be people here who haven't come across this. So your A is a really strong section. Um, and can you see how the second A, the opening word is the same syllable, count, yesterday, suddenly. And then and it's, the B section is like, it's like a passing section. It's, it's strong too, but it's always... Heading you back towards the A, that's what it's there to do. Um, so we've come across this once or twice recently, where people have actually written an AABA without knowing that they have, and then they're trying to crowbar it to a verse chorus, and it's just come, it's just really clunking, coming unstuck. So if you feel like you've got an AABA song, um, and you like, I would try and like Google it and study other AABA songs. There's um, I mentioned Great Big God's an A-A-B-A, isn't it, Nigel? Our God is a great big God. Um, there's also... Uh, there are other song forms too, I should mention. Um, like AC and all kinds of other things. But um, AAA, A-A-B-A, verse, chorus. Are, are good just to get stuck into for now. Um, right, rattling towards the end now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, obviously, as vineyard worship, we try and avoid heresy, publishing, <laughs> heretical songs. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, there is this element of, like, we have, we have our own uh, doctrine. And do our songs um, align with that doctrine? So uh, you could have a song that's theologically sound and yet feels like it, it clashes from a vineyard perspective, uh, what do I mean by that? So, um, we would embrace kingdom theology that would, for example, say there is suffering in the world, bad things happen to good people. Sometimes I lay hand on someone and pray for healing and it works, and sometimes, and, and you know, famously it's called the now and the not yet. So, um, I just would try and be aware of uh, vineyard theology. Uh, our kingdom theology, also our worship values, um, you know we invite the presence to come, do our songs reflect that um, every now and then we've, we come across one that is theologically sound and yet feels like a values clash, so if you've got any questions on that, please come and ask one of the coaches about that um, yeah, and I'm not a theologian I'm, I'm I wish I was, but if, if I'm not sure about something, I will ask. And sometimes even just having to stop and ask the question maybe means that that line is... If I'm stopping and asking the question, maybe, well, I don't know, what's, the, what's your pastor going to think or your regular people that you're asking to sing along? So um, if it's a question mark line, maybe it's better just to write another line. Okay, uh this might sound super obvious, but um uh, just have an awareness of what time signature you're in often times like um, worship songs are in six eight and four four and but there are some beautiful hymns in three four, and there are uh, some beautiful songs with like extra bars, you know bars of five, or it's just worth having that awareness of time and If you struggle with that, play to a metronome. Um, I would encourage anyone to record yourself like crazy, uh, just into your phone and listen back, not just to your vocal, but your your playing, your rhythm, your your delivery. Um, And it's a great teaching tool. Uh, Here here we go. So um, sometimes songs are played or recorded and you just feel like this is just the wrong key. This just isn't working for your, your mm-hmm. voice. Um, so just be aware of, you know, when you're presenting your songs, try and find a key that you're comfortable in, that you're not really reaching or you're not <laughs> super low and really struggling. I um, <laughs> put this on top, Are you relying on octave jumps for dynamic lift in your chorus or bridge? I'm just going to leave that one hanging there. <laughs> Um, no honestly actually on that point though um, I would say octave jumps is a, it's a very effective tool and I'm not I'm not dismissing it it's very effective it's almost like a production tool though and I wouldn't I would try and avoid using it like a formula you know this song is only going to work with my octave jump um, I would just yeah just be aware um, we're coming to land so it's okay to play your own songs. Um, man, we run into this all the time in Vinya worship. People are really happy to write songs and, um, and then record them and never play them ever again. <laughs> and it's like, oh man, we need you to play your songs, guys. And I know that sometimes this feels really countercultural. Um, but if you don't play them and sing them, Um, they're very difficult to spread around, you know. Like songs just, I know that probably in the old days a vineyard song would just like whip around the world and everyone would just kind of know it. Um, But I feel like God has yet to do that again for us. The best is coming, I believe that. But we need you to play your songs. And we would love you to play the songs that come from this community as well. It's a really powerful dynamic. I know that it challenges all those things about self-promotion and just like, um, it just feels really uncomfortable. Maybe it's a British thing. I think we just need to just bury it and just be okay with playing. Um, because I love the songs that you guys write, but I need you to sing them. Not for a financial reason. I need you to sing them. Because we need great vineyard songs being used in our churches. Okay. Very quickly, just to end with, I just thought maybe some definitions here um, before you know before we go into group work and um, what what do these things mean, and you might have come across this stuff and be confused. So just to bring hopefully a little bit of clarity um, from a from a copyright point, from a legal point of view, we we look at with my publisher hat on now. We look at the top line, which is your melody and your lyrics. Okay, uh, that's the bit that gets signed when a song is signed and then published, um, and those are the bits that get fought over in court when people plagiarise. Um, this is my definition. Okay, a co-write is a top-line contribution from another writer. Okay, so hopefully that helps. Um, what I would call bottom line is anything else. So. And I don't even know if bottom line's are work, so I made that up. But <laughs> instrumentation, you know, like, if I'm playing drums on your song and I do a fill into the chorus that you like, that's not a co-write. I'd love it to be you known. <laughs> that's not a co-write. Um, you know, even a guitar hook. Unless you want to honour the producer or the guitarist as, as a writer and say that that hook that you wrote is so central to my song, that's a discussion between you and the musician, but Technically speaking, unless you, you're not obliged as the, as the songwriter to uh, count that as a co-write. Um, if I say to Dave, Dave, change your key, drop your tempo, and swap your chorus with your bridge, and there you go, and he's got a great song. Um, all of that feedback might have been really helpful, but it's not a co-write. It's, it's kind of editing what Dave's already written, and it already exists. Um, so I would just these are just a few housekeeping rules maybe Um, yeah so and actually what's tricky is when some of those decisions can make or break a song from being discarded to being like this is really important and special now Um, yeah writer splits uh, I would just say exactly that be generous uh, be open And and communicate early about it. Because it's really difficult later on. Um, Great. I think we're going to grab some coffee. And then we're going to hit try. Before
0: before you run off and the slide disappeared. Uh, Before we go into our groups. This piece that Jimmy has talked about is super important. So all of us need to be mindful of this co-writing and contributing to each other's songs and what would really help us and you down the road is if that happens in your group today and tomorrow, that you actually acknowledge that and if your coach is like helping you, trying to help you sort this out, if you can acknowledge that and maybe even write it down, agree that in the group, it saves a lot of hassle later on. So um We would love to not have to wrangle or try and remember who did what. Let's do it while it's fresh in our memories, okay? And if the coaches could be mindful of that. Because sometimes we get lost in the process, don't we? Um, And things can get messy afterwards. So go grab a coffee, come back for more fun.